Welcome to Killer Women with your host, best-selling author, Danielle Girard. And now, Danielle's next killer woman. Welcome to Killer Women Podcast, a proud member of the Authors on the Air Global Network with more than 4 million listeners. I am your host, suspense author Danielle Girard, and my guest today is Sarah Pekinen. Sarah is the number one New York Times bestselling co-author of five novels of suspense, including The Golden Couple and The Wife Between Us, and the solo, solo author of the thriller Gone Tonight. A passionate volunteer for rescue animals, she serves as an ambassador for RRSA India and works hands-on in India to heal and vaccinate street dogs. She lives just outside of Washington, D.C. with her family. Welcome, Sarah. I am so happy to be here. It is great to see you. Oh, my God. It's great to see you. And Sarah and I got to sort of meet finally in real life, in person, um, in New York last, God, that was only just a month ago at... um, the, con- the conference that I talk a lot about on Killer Women because I love it so much, which is Thriller Fest, which is every uh, end of May, early June in New York City. So so that was so fun. Although we were just also discussing the fact that you never really get to have <laughs> a full conversation because there's just so many people in- that you want to talk to. So here we're going to talk about Gone Tonight. Right. Now we, we get to conversation. Now we get to talk. And we're going to talk about, I have so many questions because if you can, if those of you that can see Sarah behind her is a whiteboard and I'm, I love to talk about process and Sarah is going to share some of that with us. But before I get way, way, way ahead of myself, Sarah, tell our listeners about Gone Tonight. So Gone Tonight is the story of a mother and a daughter. The mother's 41, the daughter's 24. And They've only had each other ever since the daughter was born. And now she's grown, she's ready to fly the nest and her mother is determined to keep her close. The daughter's determined to move away. And there's menace coming, but it's unclear if the menace is coming from one of them or from the outside. Oh, that's a perfect way to, good teaser. You're good at this. Oh, good. Um, this is my first time. Trying, oh, you know, well, I, think you, I think you nailed it. Um, awesome. So, I want to dig into the mother-daughter stuff because, of course, there is so much of it, even though, of course, this is a thriller and most of us, thank goodness, are not living this exact life. There is so much of the sort of truth of mother-daughter relationships in here. Um, But before we get to that, I kind of wanted to ask, I always love to hear, you know, how a story is seeded. Where does it come from? What's the origin? Can you tell us a little bit about sort of how this story formed in your brain? Yeah, I mean, on a personal note, um, I've always been interested in my grandmother's story. My grandmother, who uh, died when I was in college, was uh, a waitress. She dropped out of school um, in eighth grade to help support her family. And she waitressed her entire life. And when my father was born, he had a very serious medical condition. And he was told he would not live past the age of 21. And somehow this waitress with nothing to her name living in a house she and her mechanic also you know uh, no education beyond grade school husband had built found a top doctor he did this very innovative cutting-edge surgery on my father and my father is still alive today in his 80s so I kind of that juxtaposition of a woman who had nothing in life 
and who would do anything for her kid was part of my DNA, I guess. I, I had always known that story. And then you kind of go as a thriller writer, you start churning that through the mix and you think, you know, all right, what do I need to do to, to mix this up, to, to make it more, you know, palpable for viewers and to get those thrills in there? Because my grandmother was not, she had a very <laughs> kind of quiet life beyond that. She was not out there, you know, living the thriller life. All right. That, which is good. That's what we kind of want in our grandmothers, right? right? Well, I love that. And I think that is such a, that is such a key point to this book. And I think it's such an important point for, you know, as a, the Killer Women show is the idea of, and I think, you know, of course, I think any parent would do um, what they have to do, but I think there is something sort of about a mother and the way she protects her child, you know, and it becomes, there's this push pull between, you know, you know, Ruth and Catherine, because uh, I mean, Ruth is the mother and Catherine is the daughter. And, you know, Catherine, of course, you want your children to be independent and live their own lives. But if there's a threat to them, you know, then you also are like, I would rather you be alive and trapped in this situation than have something happen to you. And so talk about that, because that's a, I think that is that come from, you know, you have children, I, I think, don't you? I do. I have three. I have boys. I don't have a daughter. Um, <sighs> but yeah, I mean, there's always that fear that you're balancing with, you know, the need to let them be independent and do their own thing. And nowadays, you know, as parents, we can do certain things like we can share our location with our kids. We can kind of see where they are. They can, you know, text us or call us. So that that helps somewhat, but then it also brings in the dangers of, you know, our kids having the online presence and what that opens them up to. But yeah, I mean, just, I remember, you know, when my first son was born, just this feeling of, oh my gosh, I am responsible for you. And I'm feeling this kind of love I've never felt before. And I would do anything for you. I would kill for you. I would die for you. I would, I would do it all. And um, right. I that that feeling that we, you know, we have um, about the people we love. I really wanted to tap into that for this book. And it was amplified because Ruth and Catherine really have nobody else in their life. The right. story Catherine is that she was disowned. She was 16. Um, she got pregnant and her family threw her away, wanted nothing to do with her. And as Catherine starts trying to learn more about Ruth and why Ruth is holding on to her so tightly, she begins unraveling things and realizing Ruth hasn't always been honest with her. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there is that, you know, there is that interesting sort of dynamic between the, the question of like, you know, is Catherine looking at her mother, who's the person closest to her in the world? Like you said, they, they really are so isolated from one another. I mean, from the world, just the two of them. And the question becomes like, is the story that my mother told me a lie to protect her or to protect me? You know what I mean? So it's, it's this question of like how, when you come to terms with the fact that the person you think you know the best in the world, maybe isn't who you thought they were. Right. Yeah. And especially yeah. in the, in the sense that if that's a parent, it's so, it is really unnerving, you know, it's very, it, and, and I love the fact that Catherine works with, you know, this in this memory care unit, right? I mean, did you do a lot of research for that? Because it feels so genuine. Oh, thank you. I did. I like to research my books. I'm a former reporter. So yes. The fun for me is getting to interview people, getting to see different things, getting to kind of walk in those shoes. So I did, you know, a fair amount of reading and I uh, spoke to a lot of people and I went online and, you know, read a lot and, you know, got into different like chat groups um, where I could observe what people were saying who were 
caring for family members with Alzheimer's. And I felt that was really important to get right. And to also really show that, you know, the people in this memory care unit, I wanted to show bits of who they were before they arrived. And, you know, that they had had these, these full, complicated, loving, you know, wonderful, bad lives, like we all do. And then when they are in the memory care unit, you know, they're, you know, seen as more of a shell, but that part of them is still in there. It's kind of, I think yeah. I described it as like, you know, that trick soap that, you know, sometimes we would get for our kids that would have like a little toy figure inside all the layers of glycerin that you could see. And it was kind of, gauzy. yeah, yeah, get to it. And, and that was the feeling that Catherine and her coworkers had about the people that they cared for. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it is, it is the idea also of sort of like when we lose identity, right? And how scary that is to be an adult who loses identity and then also to be the child of, you know, or the spouse of somebody who's losing their identity and and how, you know, that is, that really rocks it. Well, that I thought that part was really well done and a beautiful compliment to the sort of questions of what, um, you know, what Ruth is going through and what, um, and what Catherine's going through. And there's this, I think this is a sort of thing for you, right? You oftentimes, I mean, it's interesting that this book really does explore sort of love and marriage or, you know, these relationships. Not that Catherine and James were married, but, or sorry, Ruth and James were married, but the idea that of these like, you know, relationships where we create, you know, children are fall in love. And that's kind of a, that's a thing for you a little bit. Cause we also learn a lot about Ruth's father who is sounds like a lovely man and Ruth's mother who's was harder. Um, so this is, you know, and somehow you managed to make this, this, these questions and these relationships fresh every time. So, you know, can you talk about sort of why that, that interests you? The, First of all, thank you, know. you so much. That's a huge compliment. And I'm, I'm so happy, Daniel, because I feel like you got exactly what I've been trying to do, which is, um, almost blend a bit of my previous genre that I wrote eight books in, which was women's fiction, you know, character driven, but, you know, also plot driven, but really developing the characters and relationships. And I'm now that yeah. I'm writing thrillers and I switch yeah. genres, I want to bring that into, I want you to deeply understand the characters and maybe you don't agree with what they're doing, but at least you kind of understand them. Absolutely. And I play on the emotions. I hope I can get a tear out of you at the end. I hope that you'll feel all the things when you're reading, um, you know, one of my books. So thank you for, for pointing that out. Cause that was something I really wanted to do. And I'm so glad you got that. And I think that there's so, I mean, in all of your books, I think there's a lot of universality, even if we're, you know, again, in a thriller novel, I think we reread them and it's, we read partially for escape, which, you know, is so lovely. And it's why I'm such a, you know, huge fan of the genre myself. I mean, I read, you know, voraciously, obviously for the podcast, but also, you know, otherwise. And, um, and I do think, you know, this, the whole idea of, you know, the way that we are in a relationship and the ways we fall in love and out of love, and then the ways that we, you know, don't necessarily recognize the person that we fell in love with at certain moments, that feels really universal, even if you're, if the examples are, you know, very benign for most of us, like, you know, you see somebody lose their temper and think, that doesn't sound like you, or, you know, they do something that seems out of character. But um, I think it is a, it's a, it's something we all have, you know, we're all dealing with all the time, right? Relationships between, you know, if it's not our romantic relationship, it's the romantic relationship of our parents or our children, or, you know, it is so, you know, so interesting. So, t- okay, now let's talk about process, because I did spot that whiteboard. And um, 
you know, I kind of, the, the, uh, you know, so the obvious sort of starter question is, you know, pants or plot, you know, pants or a plotter, although I think those are sort of generalities. How, you know, how do you write? So my process has evolved quite a bit because Gone Tonight is my 13th published book. So it's Congratulations. Thank you. Um, So now what I do is I start with uh, a synopsis. So it takes a while to get the idea. You know, you're kind of gathering. I rarely have lightning bolt fully formed ideas come to me. Um, That would be nice, right? would be if we could all be JK Rowling and be like sitting on the subway and just get Harry Potter delivered that would be lovely right into our brains um but yeah so I'll I'll start working the idea and so what I do right now is I write a synopsis my current one is about four and a half pages and I will send that to my editor and I've already pitched her the idea over the phone and she's you know given me the approval so I want to write a synopsis even though I used to hate writing them yeah. I would much rather write like a 400 page book than a four page synopsis. I'm like, yes. I got to figure it out when I'm in it. I, I don't, you know, have that kind of uh, bird's eye view of the landscape yet. I got to get in there and, and work on it. But what I realized was that I would actually be saving myself a lot of time, not only by thinking it out ahead of time, but by making sure my editor didn't read it and say, oh, I have another book that has this exact same plot twist or you know, whatever it was. No, I hate this, right. but you, you change this. So it's better to get all the big things uh, worked out ahead of yeah. time. So I write the synopsis, I send it to her, and then I generally write a couple chapters and send them to her and say, is this, this is the tone, this is where I'm going with this, what do you think? And she'll say, you know, keep going, and then I'll write the whole book before I send it to her. Because editors really only have a set number of reads in them. If you yes. think about it, like how many mm-hmm. t- if you read something and over and over you lose the ability to critique it um it's just too familiar to you so i want to give her the best first version that i can so that she can you know bring her best editing trick bag to it so i'll have other people read my first draft i have some i have some wild beta readers one of them is a professional NBA player um, named, uh, yeah, I know, Nafisa Collier. She played for uh, UConn. Um, she's amazing. And she posted on Instagram about one of my books uh, years ago. And I ended up doing like an Instagram live with her and chatting. And she is so smart, such a reader. She said she's the one in the locker room before every game reading. She's just this voracious reader. That's so yeah. awesome. Yeah, isn't that crazy? So I said, so crazy. Of my new book, and she's like, great. So now she's one of my regular beta readers. I love it. Um, and you just never know where you're going to find a great beta reader. You know, they right some people who just can give you that good feedback. So I have a handful. I have my agent. My boyfriend goes through everything. You know, multiple times. Right. My editor gets it, and then she'll give me her, you know, critique letter and. I yeah. and then that's it. Yeah. So talk about, you know, I, cause I am actually, a, and I, you know, I need to, I would love to be more um, efficient cause I am the person who thinks, oh, I can only write it. I can only, you know, know what's going on when I'm in the middle of the book. And so I do have the tendency to write and then end up off in the stratosphere at some point and have to cut, you know, 15, 20,000 words, which is super not fun as you I'm sure have experienced. But um, so, how, you know, when you're in that synopsis phase, how do you, Without being in it, how do you find yourself able to sort of figure out where the book is going? That's the trick for me, right? How how are you doing that if you're not writing it? 
Right. And that I think is just something that you just have to keep practicing, um, mm -hmm. you know, and I think I probably, you know, wrote a few horrible synopses early on, but as I began to do it more, it just, it's one of these things like everything in writing that it's just a craft. And mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I would, I would talk about the idea with people. Um, I talked about it with, you know, my boyfriend, my beta reader, um, and people would, you know, throw out questions, things like that to help me develop it a bit more. Um, you know, I've write it, I'd set it aside. I do all the things they tell you to do with books, set it aside a few days, come back to it. I mean, I think, you know, probably what, what you struggle with, like I do is like, how do you know if the synopsis, like how close are you going to stick to that? Mm -hmm. Is that really going to be an idea worth 400 pages? Like, you know, and so I do yeah. it sometimes. Yeah. His last book stuck to it pretty closely. So you kind of, in the synopsis, you you give uh, sort of the the twists and the ending, the whole thing. You're sort of basically writing a sort of, uh, you're an outline, but it's fuller. It's got full sentences kind of thing. Exactly. Yes, it's paragraphs. So, you know, similar to, you know, uh, the back of a book, you know, the copy that you read mm -hmm. on the back, like, you know, Danielle woke up today, you know, at 8am and, you know, the moon had fallen out of the sky, whatever it is. <laughs> right, right. Like that, right. Right, so, right, right. You know, very conversational tone, but I also try to make it compelling and interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, and one other piece, because you had mentioned the whiteboard. So what I yes. do with my whiteboard, so I have two, my fantasy is to have my whole room covered with whiteboards. I would love nothing more. I like messy, creative chaos. I love it. But I, every time I write a chapter, I write, you know, a few words outlining what happened in that chapter. Like, you know, Beth went to the store and ran into her ex, right? So that might be one line. And I do that throughout the entire book so that I can kind of look and just see where the book is going, where right. I break into different acts. And my bottom whiteboard is where I am putting things like, here are the four themes I want to explore. Here are the four big, you know, uh, plot you know, intersection, you know, points. And so I'll write like kind of more general things all over the bottom. But with the the top, I think a trick that I learned a while ago um, when I was actually first starting to write books was I would take novels that I admired and I would read them again, but I would take a little sticky note. And for every chapter, I would, out, you know, write a line or two of what happened in that chapter and that scene. And I would put it up on the wall. And by the time I'd finished the book, I had the entire outline of the book. Mm -hmm. And that really helped me figure out structure of novels. That's funny. I, I do that actually. I, I did that for a lot of books in like a spreadsheet because I spent years in finance. So for me, the spreadsheet was easier, but I would color code it by point of view. And then at the end, I would sort of, I would show the, you know, where the stakes increased or there was a twist. And it is really useful for those people who are, um, you know, thinking about wanting to write a book, it, it does really give you, you know, however you want to do it, it gives you this view of the book in totality and with sort of on one page and helps you understand how a book works. Oh, I love the idea of a spreadsheet in different colors and different, like that's amazing. Yeah. And I've done that for, you know, I did it for a dozen or so books, I, you know, as I was trying to figure out, you know, and, and not just like before my first book, but, you know, in between books and trying to figure out sort of how I want something to be structured, especially when you find a book that you feel like, oh, the structure of this reminds me of what I'm trying to accomplish. And so then it's a really nice tool. There's nothing similar about the books, obviously, because that's just the way it goes, but it gives you this 
thing to be like, oh, okay, so here she raises the stakes, you know, and here's where he puts in that twist. And uh, I think that's really clever. I love the idea of, of doing it for your own book. And I have done that for a spreadsheet as a, in a spreadsheet for mine. But then around chapter eight or nine, I get sidetracked by the fact that I'm writing and I stop, I forget this to keep doing it. But I do, you know, I love the idea of, of writing out a synopsis. And I, I do have that as a, a goal to be a little bit more, um, yeah, a little bit more just organized and thoughtful because, and as you said, writing a whole book is a real risk without getting it approved um, ahead of time, right? I mean, it takes a long time to write a book and if your editor doesn't love it, then that's um, that's yeah. not, not fun. And we've all been there too. So is there, you know, now you write full time, I obviously assume, and your kids are more or less grown. So I have two in college, one just graduated, one's in college, and I have one just going into high school. So Okay. Okay. So you've got your little you've got a straggler. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Well, so so obviously, um you you know, when you're you've got sort of that this sort of traditional life of a of a mom with kids in school. And so do you sort of tell us about your schedule? Obviously, you're probably writing while he's at school, but you know, do you have a, are you a first up in the morning kind of person? What works best for you? Well, when my kids were young, so when I was first starting to try to write fiction, um, my boys were like, uh, you know, zero and two. I had two within two years. And so I would write wherever and whenever I could, like, I didn't have much time at all. And yeah. um, I would write, like, if they were asleep in the car, I'd pull over and be scribbling. It was like any stolen hour I could get or half hour because they never really napped. Um, yes. At Chuck E. Cheese, I brought my laptop into Chuck E. Cheese when they were a little older because Chuck E. Cheese is like the most secure place in the world. They stamp the kids, they stamp your hand. They, you know, I could watch them. I'd be typing. Like I was just desperate to try to, you know, write wherever I could. Yeah. You know, sold a few books. Um, I was able to structure it around their school day, and then sometimes, you know, later at night. But right now, the past couple books, I've been loving early, early mornings, like wow. 5 a.m. I'll get up. And for some reason, that's like my golden time to write. I don't know if it's the coffee, the quiet house, the uncluttered brain, but I'll get, you know, a half day's work done by nine, take a little break, and then I'll hit it again in the afternoon. And so um, that is, I, I always think that is so impressive. I'm like, where's the gene that would have me up at that hour? It's just it completely missed me. Yeah, no, I do not. I'm like at four o'clock in the morning, I am rolling over. So you, do you, then do you find you go to bed really early? You must go to bed early. I do. I go to bed early. I go to bed by 10 every night. Yeah. Well, that's not that. That's not that early. Yeah. And I get, a, I don't always get up at four. It can be five. It can be five 30, but it is as early as four. It's just kind of when I wake up naturally oh, and wow. I'm find myself ready to write when I'm writing. Yeah. I love with, that. Uh, with Gone Tonight, it was weird because for the first time, I dreamed I was inside scenes of the book. Like I was having a conversation with Catherine and she was showing me around the memory ward in this one certain room where family members stay. And I'm like, oh, this looks just like I imagined it. And um, that was crazy. That That, is, that is so crazy. And you use that in your book. I remember the room where the family members stay. Yeah. So that is... That is really, God, how helpful, right? And and I do think there, I don't know if you're somebody who keeps like a notepad by your bed, but I do think that there's some magic that happens, you know, either right before you're falling asleep or in dreams. And if you are, you know, if we're smart, I had this the other night, I'm starting a new book and I, I had this great 
thing that came to my mind and I didn't get up and write it down, you know, and that's the thing is, it's just then in the next morning, it's like, it's gone. It'll, oh, I mean, it, yeah. it'll be, re I'm sure it'll be replaced by something as good or better, but you know what I mean? You just, you have to get up and sort of you know, capture it. Well, do you ever like just type it into your phone and send it to yourself in the middle of the night or late at I night? I do. I actually talk and my husband hates this, but I, I used to, I sort of like sometimes get up and whisper um, yeah. and just do talk to text and send myself an email. Um, but I, yes, I do do that. And I think that's, I think that's a really good way, even a voice memo or yeah, typing or whatever works. Uh, I think you have to capture that, but I've also been known to just like have you know, right in the dark, which is funny because you wake up and all the lines kind of cross each other and it's right. hard to read what you wrote. But it, I can usually kind of get the gist of what I was trying to say. But yeah, there's some magic that happens that I think you have to capture, right? I love the idea of your husband waking up and you're muttering into your phone, kill him with a knife. And right, right. And he's like, oh, God, what have I gotten he's, myself into? <laughs> it's right. Well, it's smart of them to just leave with one eye open. But um. So I, you know, now that you're 13 books, you know, you're, you're right, working on your 14th, I'm sure, you know, how do you feel when you start a new book? Cause I, you know, I'm always curious, if there's, is there a point where we get like, oh, I've done this enough. I know what I'm doing or is the fear <laughs> so, so, tell us about that. Yeah. No, I mean, I always feel like, oh my God, how could I possibly write another book? I mean, do you feel that way? Like what? every time, no, this is crazy. Like I will not be able to, to write another book. And then you start writing it, you get really into it. But because we're writers, we're not all that confident and a right. little bit neurotic at times, right? So then it's like, oh, this is horrible. Like this, right. I cannot trust anybody. This is not working. It's boring. It's slow. You have no perspective. I mean, you just go through all the emotions with the books. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that is right. And I think, I don't know that it ever goes away. You know, I, I had a really lovely interview with Sandra Brown and she said the same thing. She said, I, every wow. time I, I start a book, I, I look and I have to look at my bookshelf and say, okay, Sandra, you've done this before. You can do this again. I think, well, if she hasn't gotten to the point wow. where she feels like it's, you know, where she still feels the fear, then I think maybe we're just destined to feel it forever. Probably. And maybe that's a good thing. Like I, maybe we, you know, if we were like, oh yeah, we got this. We wouldn't put the angst and the energy into the book. Right. I do think that's right. I think there's something that you kind of have to feel that fear so that you work hard enough to make the book the best it can be. Yeah. So, okay. So gone, this gone tonight comes out on the, um, tell August me. 1st. August uh, 1st. I love that. That's so exciting. I love so this 250,000 copy announced market distribution. You go girl. I love this. This is a huge book. So can you tell us um, and I, and this is like, I think this is the meanest thing to do to authors. It's like, we're <laughs> celebrating this fabulous book that you have that's coming out. It's not even yet in the world. And then we're like, okay, uh, what are you working on now? Because we always, of course, want to know what's the next thing coming. Yeah. yeah, no, I'm actually okay with answering that because the next one's done and my editors oh. accepted it. So it, it knock on wood. Um, so the next uh, book is... Um, that one was so gone tonight was a gift like that was I think every writer has one of these books where you write quickly and fluidly and gone tonight I wrote in four and a half months which has never happened to me before it didn't need a lot of editing it was just a joy except for the moments when I was convinced it was horrible and I of should course. not write um of right. course you know, every right. Other day. right 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 
next book, I decided to do a departure and write the entire book from one point of view. And traditionally, I really like two points of view because you can bounce. Do you do that too? Like prefer yep. two or three? You can yep. bounce back and forth, see the characters the way other people see them, have them in all kinds of environments. But I thought, you know, for this book, I can't think of a good secondary character who would be as strong as my protagonist. I'm going to have to do it all from her point of view. And it was hard. It was, I definitely was like, you know, all the tricks that I had to leave somebody at a cliffhanger and pick somebody up here. Like I, I couldn't do any of that and trying to keep up the tension mm-hmm. with it. Um, so that one took a lot more work, but I, it, I'm glad I did it. Cause I feel like it helped me learn more and grow more as a writer. And I was, happy yeah. And my editor was happy with it more importantly. Um, right. But that one's, that one's done, and that one is about a uh, lawyer uh, who has a very interesting, unusual expertise in the D.C. area and uh, what happens when she goes to represent an unusual client. I I love that. Well, I do, you know, it's so funny that you say that because I'm sorry if you can hear my dogs. They're obviously reacting to something going on in the street. <laughs> but um, But I actually did this, you know, I've always done multiple points of view. The one thing I love about it too, is that you can, cliffhangers become very natural because you can leave this in the middle of a sort of scene with somebody and then go to another person, which sort of drives a natural momentum, right? To, oh God, we had to, you know, get through, find out what's going on with this person. And then you leave, you leave a hook with that person, go back to the other person, sort of this natural. And I just also finished, um, for the first time ever, a single point of view uh, and I'm like you, I, I have 16 books out. It's the first single point of view I've ever done. And it it was really interesting and different. And I'm also glad I did it. It's, but I, it is a different kind of beast, isn't it? It's a really, and you, you think, oh, it's not the difference. Yeah, I think I might do it again. Um, but it has to be the right story. And I think to your point, this, I had the same experience, which is there was just nobody else. There was nobody else whose point of view felt like it could compete with her point of view or even like, you know, or balance it or, or, you know, um, compliment it. it. It was just her story. And so yeah. I think that was the only choice. It's, it's, it's the first time I realized how the truth of it, sometimes the story commands a certain structure, right? That is exactly yeah. sort of my experience. And I, I never done it before, but I, I enjoyed it. I don't know that I'll do it next. <laughs> Again, I feel the same um, way. Like I want to go back to the two for the next one and just right make it a little easier on myself. Although exactly, yeah. it is interesting, right? Yeah, but I think that's so funny because I um I just did it too, and I I do think it is a very different experience. And I'm glad I did it, but it wasn't. It is harder. It was harder. Yeah, did I it thought. take you longer to write the one? Well, this one was my. This might have been my story that was sort of like yours. This was sort of a fever dream story for me, and it did kind of happen fast. It wasn't so much that it took longer; is that I felt like the chapters got were longer because there wasn't this natural like I'm leaving her in this place to go to somebody else. I don't know. It felt different and harder, um, and then also was sort of weirdly fast. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, you know that's that's it. But it, it is interesting. I find that it's it's an interesting experience when you're you think you're doing something you know similar to what you've always done and yet it feels so so different and um but but that's really exciting do you have a title for that i know sometimes they change a million times between the tentative title is house of glass but i don't okay. know if it's yeah you know i know that's so that's that's so funny the the 
the world of these. Okay, well, um, our interview actually um, is going to go live, I'm checking, on July 27th. So when you're listening to this right now, you have just like four days before Sarah's book is on the shelves, which means you can go and grab it. Sarah, tell us, um, tell our listeners where to find you um, in the world of social media, your website, all that good stuff, so they can grab this book before it's on the shelves. Awesome. Well, my website is just my name, sarahpeckinen.com. Uh, the last name's a little tricky to spell. And then on, but I mean, one nice thing about having an unusual last name is that's my handle on everything, Instagram. I have an author page on Facebook. I'm not on Twitter much, but um, I'm on there and I'm sort of new to TikTok and trying to figure that out. I know. It's fun watching everybody else's videos, but yes. yeah, I, I love, and you probably feel this way too. Like I love going on social media and just seeing something nice posted by a reader or like yeah. comment on something because what we do is so solitary. We're just here alone, staring at our screens all day, making stuff up, beating ourselves up. And then you go on like Instagram and somebody's like, oh, I read this book and I really liked it. And it just, it makes your day. So it really does. And I think that's right. And I think we'd love to hear from readers who enjoy your stories. If you're a reader who didn't enjoy a story, I think you just let that go because we have enough <laughs> criticism going on <laughs> between between our own ears we don't really need yours um but I I agree and actually the the world of authors is so supportive and um the love we get from other authors is it is it's so vital to sort of the survival the mental survival of this job which is is really hard and it is really lonely and yet it's also you know can, I can't imagine doing anything else and I'm sure you can't either I'm going to spell, for our, for our listeners, I'm going to spell Pekinen because it is a little tricky. Although I think you could probably mess it up and Google would figure it out because it's so unusual. Sarah is with an H and Pekinen is P-E-K-K-A-N-E-N. And so you can find Sarah, it sounds like everywhere. I'm like Sarah, just barely on Twitter, but um, and I, I see you all the time, mostly on Instagram, which is where I spend most of my time. But grab Gone Tonight. You're going to really love this story. And um, the twists go all the way to the to the very, very, very end, which I think is um, is such a talent. So thank you so much for joining oh, us, Sarah. Great. Thank you so much for having me, Danielle. Absolutely. And Everybody. I oh, I hope so too. Are you going to BoucherCon? I don't think so this year, but I'll be at Thriller Fest next year. So maybe we can yes. grab a drink. Oh, I would love that. Absolutely. Well, it can't come fast enough. Um, everybody, thank you so much for joining us today on Killer Women with Sarah Peckinen, whose new book, Gone Tonight, is fabulous. Go grab your copy, and we will see you next time. Bye.